0: section ten of to the last man by zane gray this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter five part two then the musical tinkle of his spurs sounded fainter a moment later ellen's father entered the cabin his dark moody face brightened at sight of her ellen knew she was the only person in the world left for him to love and she was sure of his love her very presence always made him different. And through the years, the darker their misfortunes, the farther he slipped away from better days, the more she loved him. "'Hello, my Ellen,' he said, and he embraced her. When he had been drinking, he never kissed her. "'Sure, I'm glad you're home. This here hole was bad enough any time. But when you're gone, it's black. I'm hungry.' Ellen laid food and drink on the table, and for a while she did not look directly at him. She was concerned about this new searching power of her eyes. In relation to him, she vaguely dreaded it. Lee Jorth had once been a singularly handsome man. He was tall, but did not have the figure of a horseman. His dark hair was streaked with gray, and was white over his ears. His face was sallow and thin with deep lines. Under his round, prominent brown eyes, like deadened furnaces, were blue, swollen welts. He had a bitter mouth and a weak chin, not wholly concealed by gray mustache and pointed beard. He wore a long frock coat and a wide-brimmed sombrero, both black in color, and so old and stained and frayed that along with the fashion of them they betrayed that they had come from Texas with him. Jorth always persisted in wearing a white linen shirt, likewise a relic of his Southern prosperity. And today it was ragged and soiled as usual. Ellen watched her father eat and waited for him to speak. It occurred to her, strangely, that he never asked about the sheep or the newborn lambs. She divined with a subtle new woman's intuition that he cared nothing for his sheep. Ellen, what riled dags? inquired her father presently. He sure had a fire in his eye. Long ago, Ellen had betrayed an indignity she had suffered at the hands of a man. Her father had nearly killed him. Since then, she had taken care to keep her troubles to herself. If her father had not been blind and absorbed in his own brooding, he would have seen a thousand things sufficient to inflame his Southern pride and temper. Daggs asked me to marry him again, and I said he belonged to a bad lot,' she replied. Jorth laughed in scorn. "'Fool! My God, Ellen, I must have dragged you low, that every damned Drew her sheepman, who comes along thinks he can marry you.' At the break in his words, the incomplete meaning, Ellen dropped her eyes. Little things once never noted by her were now come to have a fascinating significance. "'Never mind, Dad,' she replied. "'They can't marry me.' "'Dag said someone had been talking to you. How about that?' "'Old John Sprague had just gotten back from Grass Valley,' said Ellen. "'I stopped in to see him. Sure,' he told me. "'All the village gossip.' "'Anything to interest me?' he queried darkly. "'Yes, Dad.' I'm afraid a good deal, she said hesitatingly. Then, in accordance with the decision Ellen had made, she told him of the rumored war between sheepmen and cattlemen, that old Isbel had Blaisdell, Gordon, Fredericks, Blue, and other well-known ranchers on his side, that his son John Isbel had come from Oregon with a wonderful reputation as a fighter and scout and tracker, that it was no secret how Colonel Lee Jorth was at the head of the sheepmen. That a bloody war was sure to come. Ha! exclaimed Jorth, with a stain of red in his sallow cheek. Reckon none of that is news to me. I knew all that. Ellen wondered if he had heard of her meeting with Jean Isbel. If not, he would hear as soon as Sim Bruce and Lorenzo came back. She decided to forestall them. Dad, I met Jean Isbel. He came into my camp. Asked the way to the rim. I showed him. We, we talked a little. And sure we're getting acquainted when, when he told me who he was. Then I left him, hurried back to camp. Coulter met Isbel down in the woods, replied Jorth ponderingly. Said he looked like an Indian, a hard and slippery customer to reckon with. Sure, I guess I can endorse what Coulter said, returned Ellen dryly. She could have laughed aloud at her deceit. Still, she had not lied. "'How'd this here young Isbel strike you?' queried her father suddenly, glancing up at her. Ellen felt the slow, sickening, guilty rise of blood in her face. She was helpless to stop it. But her father evidently never saw it. He was looking at her without seeing her. "'He... he struck me as different from men here,' she stammered. "'Did Sprague tell you about this half-Indian Isbel?' "'About his reputation?' "'Yes.' "'Did he look to you like a real woodsman?' "'Indeed he did. "'He wore buckskin. "'He stepped quick and soft. "'He acted at home in the woods. "'He had eyes black as night "'and sharp as lightning. "'They sure saw about all there was to see.' "'Jorth chewed at his mustache "'and lost himself in brooding thought. "'Dad, tell me, "'is there going to be a war?' "'Asked Ellen presently. What a red, strange, rolling flash blazed in his eyes. His body jerked. Sure, you might as well know. Between sheepmen and cattlemen? Yes. With you, Dad, at the head of one faction, and Gaston, Isbel, the other? Daughter, you have it correct, so far as you go. Oh, Dad, can't this fight be avoided? You forget you're from Texas, he replied. "'Can't it be help?' she repeated stubbornly. "'No,' he declared, with deep, hoarse passion. "'Why not?' "'Well, we sheepmen are going to run sheep anywhere we like on the range, and cattlemen won't stand for that.' "'But Dad is so foolish,' declared Ellen earnestly. "'You sheepmen do not have to run sheep over the cattle range.' "'I reckon we do.' "'Dad, that argument doesn't go with me.' I know the country. For years to come there will be room for both sheep and cattle, without overrunning. If some of the range is better in water and grass, then whoever got there first should have it. That sure is only fair. It's common sense, too. Ellen, I reckon some cattle people have been prejudicing you, said Jorth bitterly. Dad, she cried hotly. This had grown to be an ordeal for Jorth. He seemed the victim of contending tides of feeling. Some will or struggle broke within him, and the change was manifest. Haggard, shifty-eyed, with wobbling chin, he burst into speech. "'See here, girl, you listen. There's a clique of ranchers down in the basin, all those you named with Isbel at their head. They have resented, sheepmen coming down into the valley. They want it all to themselves. That's the reason. Sure, there's another. All the Isbels are crooked. They're cattle and horse thieves. Have been for years. Gaston Isbel always was a maverick rustler. He's getting old now and rich, so he wants to cover his tracks. He aims to blame this cattle rustling and horse stealing onto us sheepmen and run us out of the country. Gravely, Ellen Jorth, studied her father's face, and the newly-found truth-seeing power of her eyes did not fail her. In part, perhaps in all, he was telling lies. She shuddered a little, loyally battling against the insidious convictions being brought to fruition. Perhaps in his brooding over his failures and troubles, he had leaned toward false judgments. Ellen could not attach dishonor to her father's motives or speeches. For long, however, something about him had troubled her, perplexed her. Fearfully, she believed she was coming to some revelation. And despite her keen determination to know, she found herself shrinking. Dad, mother told me before she died that the Isbels had ruined you, said Ellen very low. It hurt her so to see her father cover his face that she could hardly go on. If they ruined you... They ruined all of us. I know what we had once, what we lost again and again, and I see what we are come to now. Mother hated the Isbels. She taught me to hate the very name. But I never knew how they ruined you, or why, or when. And I want to know now. Then it was not the face of a liar that Jorth disclosed. The present was forgotten. He lived in the past, he even seemed younger in the revivifying flash of hate that made his face radiant. The lines burned out. Hate gave him back the spirit of his youth. "'Gaston Isbel and I were boys together in Weston, Texas,' began Jorth in swift, passionate voice. "'We went to school together. We loved the same girl, your mother. When the war broke out, she was engaged to Isbel. His family was rich.' They influenced her people, but she loved me. When Isbel went to war, she married me. He came back and faced us. God, I'll never forget that. Your mother confessed her unfaithfulness by heaven. She taunted him with it. Isbel accused me of winning her by lies, but she took the sting out of that. Isbel never forgave her, and he hounded me to ruin. He made me out a card sharp cheating my best friends. I was disgraced. Later on, he tangled me in the courts, he beat me out of property, and last, by convicting me of rustling cattle, he run me out of Texas. Black and distorted now, Jorth's face was a spectacle to make Ellen sick with a terrible passion of despair and hate. The truth of her father's ruin and her own were enough. What mattered all else? Jorth beat the table with fluttering, nerveless hands that seemed all the more significant for their lack of physical force. "'And so help me God, it's got to be wiped out in blood,' he hissed. That was his answer to the wavering and nobility of Ellen, and she, in her turn, had no answer to make. She crept away into the corner, behind the curtain, and there on her couch, in the semi-darkness, she lay with strained heart and a resurging, unconquerable tumult in her mind. And she lay there from the middle of that afternoon until the next morning. When she awakened, she expected to be unable to rise. She hoped she could not, but life seemed multiplied in her, and inaction was impossible. Something young and sweet and hopeful that had been in her did not greet the sun this morning. In their place was a woman's passion to learn for herself, to watch events, to meet what must come to survive. After breakfast at which she sat alone, she decided to put Isabel's package out of the way, so that it would not be subjecting her to continual annoyance. The moment she picked it up, the old curiosity assailed her. "'Sure I'll see what it is anyway,' she muttered, and with swift hands she opened the package. The action disclosed two pair of fine, soft shoes of a style she had never seen, and four pairs of stockings, two of strong, serviceable wool, and the others of a finer texture. Ellen looked at them in amaze. Of all the things in the world, These would have been the last she expected to see, and, strangely, they were what she wanted and needed most. Naturally, then, Ellen made the mistake of taking them into her hands to feel their softness and warmth. Sure, he saw my bare legs, and he brought me these presents he intended for a sister. He was ashamed for me, sorry for me, and I thought he looked at me bold-like, as I used to be looked at here. "'Isbel or not? He's sure?' But Ellen Jorth could not utter aloud the conviction her intelligence tried to force upon her. "'It'd be a pity to burn them,' she mused. "'I can't do it. Sometime I might send them to Ann Isbel.' Whereupon she wrapped them up again and hid them in the bottom of the old trunk and slowly as she lowered the lid Looking darkly, blankly at the wall, she whispered, "'Jean Isbel! I hate him!' Later, when Ellen went outdoors, she carried a rifle, which was unusual for her unless she intended to go into the woods. The morning was sunny and warm. A group of shirt-sleeved men lounged in the hall and before the porch of the double cabin. Her father was pacing up and down, talking forcibly. Ellen heard his hoarse voice. As she approached, he ceased talking, and his listeners relaxed their attention. Ellen's glance ran over them swiftly, Daggs, with his superb head like that of a hawk, uncovered to the sun. Coulter, with his lowered, secretive looks, his sand-gray, lean face, Jackson Jorth, her uncle, huge, gaunt, hulking, with white in his black beard and hair, and the fire of a ghoul in his hallow eyes. Tad Jorth, another brother of her father's, younger, red of eye and nose, a weak-chinned drinker of rum. Three other limber-legged Texans lounged there, partners of dags, and they were sun-browned, light-haired, blue-eyed men, singularly alike in appearance. From their dusty, high-heeled boots to their broad black sombreros. They claimed to be sheepmen. All Ellen could be sure of was that Rockwells spent most of his time there, doing nothing but look for a chance to waylay her. Springer was a gambler, and the third, who answered to the strange name of Queen, was a silent, lazy, watchful-eyed man who never wore a glove on his right hand, and who never was seen without a gun, within easy reach of that hand. "'Howdy, Ellen. Sure you ain't gonna say good morning to this here bad lot,' drawled Dags with good-natured sarcasm. "'Why, sure. Good morning, you hard-working, industrious Mignana sheep-raisers,' replied Ellen coolly. Dags stared. The others appeared taken back by a greeting so foreign from any to which they were accustomed from her. Jackson Jorth let out a gruff ha-ha. Some of them doffed their sombreros, and Rockwells managed a lazy, polite good morning. Ellen's father seemed the most significantly struck by her greeting, and the least amused. Ellen, I'm not liking your talk, he said with a frown. Dad, when you play cards, don't you call a spade a spade? Why, sure I do. Well i'm calling spades spades Uh uh-huh grunted jorth furtively dropping his eyes where are you going with your gun i'd rather you hung around here now reckon i might as well get used to packing my gun all the time replied ellen reckon i'll be treated more like a man then the event ellen had been expecting all morning took place Sim Bruce and Lorenzo rode around the slope of the knoll and trotted toward the cabin. Interest in Ellen was relegated to the background. Sure they're busting with news, declared Dags. They'd been riding some, you bet, remarked another. Huh? exclaimed Jorth. Bruce sure looks queer to me. Red liquor, said Tad Jorth, sententiously. You all know the brand Greaves hands out. "'Nah, Sim, ain't drunk,' said Jackson Jorth. "'Look at his bloody shirt.' The cool, indolent interest of the crowd vanished at the red color pointed out by Jackson Jorth. Daggs rose in a single, springy motion to his lofty height. The face Bruce turned to Jorth was swollen and bruised with unhealed cuts, where his right eye should have been showed a puffed, dark purple bulge. His other eye, however gleamed with hard and sullen light. He stretched a big, shaking hand toward Jorth. "'That Nez Perce Isbel beat me half to death,' he bellowed. Jorth stared hard at the tragic, almost grotesque figure, at the battered face, but speech failed him. It was Daggs who answered Bruce. "'Well, Sim, I'll be damned if you don't look it.' "'Beat you? With what?' burst out Jorth explosively." I thought he was swinging an axe, but Grieve swore it was his fists, bawled Bruce, in misery and fury. "'Where was your gun?' queried Jorth sharply. "'Gun?' "'Hell!' exclaimed Bruce, flinging wide his arms. "'Ask Lorenzo. He had a gun, and he got a biff in the jaw before my turn come. Ask him.' Attention thus directed to the Mexican, who showed a heavy, discolored swelling upon the side of his olive-skinned face lorenzo looked only serious ah speak up shouted jorth impatiently señor isbel hit me very quick replied lorenzo with expressive gesture i see thousand stars then mucho black all like night at that some of dagg's men lolled back with dry crisp laughter dagg's hard face rippled with a smile but there was no humor in anything for Colonel Jorth. Tell us what come off quick, he ordered. Where did it happen? Why? Who saw it? What did you do? Bruce lapsed into a sullen impressiveness. Well, I happened in Grieve's store and run into Jean Isbel. Sure was looking for him. I had my mind made up what to do. But I got to shootin' off my gab instead of my gun. I called him Nez Pierce. And I throwed all that talk in his face about old is Isbel sending for him. And I told him he'd get run out of the Tonto. Reckon I was just warming up. But then it all happened. He slugged Lorenzo just one. And Lorenzo slid peaceful-like to bed behind the counter. I hadn't time to think of throwing a gun before he wailed into me. He knocked out two of my teeth, and I swallowed one of them. Ellen stood in the background behind three of the men and in the shadow. She did not join in the laugh that followed Bruce's remarks. She had known that he would lie. Uncertain yet of her reaction to this, but more bitter and furious as he revealed his utter baseness, she waited for more to be said. "'Well, I'll be doggoned,' drawled Daggs. "'What do you make of this kind of fightin?' queried Jorth. Darn if I know, replied Daggs in perplexity. Sure and certain it's not the way of a Texan. Maybe this young Isbel really is what old Gas swears he is. Sure Bruce ain't nothing to give an edge to a real gunfighter. Looks to me like Isbel bluffed Greaves and his gang and licked your men without throwing a gun. Maybe Isbel doesn't want the name of drawing first blood, suggested Jorth. "'That'd be like gas,' spoke up Rockwell's quietly. "'I once rode for gas in Texas.' "'Say, Bruce,' said Daggs, "'was this here palavering of yours and Jean Isbel's "'about the old stock dispute? "'About his father's range and water, "'and, particular, about sheep?' "'Well, I yelled a heap,' declared Bruce haltingly, "'but I don't recollect all I said. "'I was riled. "'Sure, though it was the same old argument,' THAT'S BEEN FETCHING US CLOSER AND CLOSER TO TROUBLE." Daggs REMOVED HIS KEEN, HAWK-LIKE gaze FROM BRUCE. WELL, JORTH, ALL I SAY IS THIS. IF BRUCE IS TELLING THE TRUTH, WE AIN'T GOT A HELL OF LOT TO FEAR FROM THIS YOUNG ISBEL. I'VE KNOWN A HEAP OF GUNFIGHTERS IN MY DAY, AND JEAN ISBEL DON'T RUN TRUE TO CLASS. SURE, THERE NEVER WAS A GUNMAN WHO RISKED CRIPPLING HIS RIGHT HAND BY SLUGGING ANYBODY. "'Well,' broke in Bruce sullenly, "'y'all can take it, dead straight or not. "'I don't give a damn. "'You've sure got my hunch that Nez Perce Isbel "'is liable to handle any of you fellas, "'just as he did me, and just as easy. "'What's more, he's got Greaves, figured. "'And you all know that Greaves is as deep in—' "'Shut up that kind of gab,' demanded Jorth stridently, "'and answer me. "'Was the row in Greaves' barroom about sheep aw oh, hell i said so didn't i shouted bruce with a fierce uplift of his distorted face ellen strolled out from the shadow of the tall men who had obscured her bruce you're a liar she said bitingly the surprise of her sudden appearance seemed to root bruce to the spot all but the discolored places on his face turned white he held his breath a moment then expelled it hard his effort to recover from the shock was painfully obvious he stammered incoherently, sure you're more than a liar, too, cried Ellen, facing him with blazing eyes, and the rifle gripped in both hands seemed to declare her intent of menace. The row was not about sheep, Jean Isabel didn't beat you for anything about sheep. old John Sprague was in Greaves's store. he heard you he saw Jean Isabel beat you as you deserved, and he told me. Ellen saw Bruce shrink in fear of his life, and despite her fury she was filled with disgust that he could imagine she would have his blood on her hands. Then she divined that Bruce saw more in the gathering storm in her father's eyes than he had to fear from her. "'Girl, what the hell you sayin'?" hoarsely called Jorth, in dark amaze. "'Dad, you leave this to me,' she retorted. Daggs stepped beside Jorth, significantly, on his right side. Let her alone, Lee, he advised coolly. She sure got a hunch on Bruce. "'Sim, Bruce, you cast a dirty slur on my name,' cried Ellen passionately. It was then that Daggs grasped Jorth's right arm and held it tight. "'Just what I thought,' he said. "'Stand still, Lee. Let's see the kid make him show down.' "'That's what Jean Isbel beat you for,' went on, Ellen. "'For slandering a girl who wasn't there. "'Me, you rotten liar!' "'But, Ellen, it wasn't all lies,' said Bruce huskily. "'I was half drunk and horribly jealous. "'You know Lorenzo, seen Isbel kissing you. "'I can prove that.' "'Ellen threw up her head, "'and a scarlet wave of shame and wrath flooded her face. "'Yes,' she cried ringingly, He saw Jean Isbel kiss me once, and it was the only decent kiss I've had in years. He meant no insult. I didn't know who he was. And through his kiss, I learned a difference between men. You made Lorenzo lie, and if I had a shred of good name left in Grass Valley, you dishonored it. You made him think I was your girl. Damn you. I ought to kill you. Eat your words now. Take them back, or I'll cripple you for life. Ellen lowered the cocked rifle toward his feet. "'Sure, Ellen, I take it back. All I said,' gulped Bruce. He gazed at the quivering rifle barrel and then into the face of Ellen's father. Instinct told him where his real peril lay. Here the cool and tactful Dags showed himself master of the situation. "'Here, listen,' he called. Ellen, I reckon Bruce was drunk and out of his head. He sure ate his words. Now we don't want any cripples in this camp. Let him alone. Your dad got me here to lead the Jorths, and that's my say to you. Sim, you're sure a low-down, lying rascal. Keep away from Ellen after this, or I'll bore you myself. Jorth, it won't be a bad idea for you to forget you're a Texan till you cool off. Let Bruce stop some Isbel lead. Sure, the jorth Isbel war is about on, and I reckon we'd be smart to believe old Gass's talk about his Ness Pierce son. End of chapter five, part two.